1: What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got so We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling it stuff. Am I going to get sued? we going legal on this? I yeah, like football, like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube and it's our midweek Wednesday show our Christmas edition. Yeah, of the PFF NFL podcast. Yep.
0: You have the uh the Christmas jumper with the moose on it that it, for, I've never really understood and
1: I got a Christmasy hat. Yeah, we're very Christmassy. So Even we're the undershirt is Christmassy. That's true. We it is both. it's festive colors. But we also have gifts. We do. I can't put mine up on the table at the moment. <laughs> it's not exactly wrapped Kay. for um for reasons
0: all right so what we're going to be doing is we're going to you know give each other gifts here if you're listening this is going to lose a little but i think the reaction might 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 win you back but i would advise going to youtube and checking out what the gifts are if you want to actually see them uh and then we will transition into some uh, gifts for the crappy nfl teams this year the ones that are five and eight or worse you know the teams yeah. who really don't want to be looking at the playoffs but actually just want a reason to be cheerful right now that's very uh
1: very festive of you. Thank you to give those gifts. That was your idea. That's it great. was.
0: Yeah, a little you know
1: Christmas for so, uh, for people. I do suggest if you are listening, maybe get to the YouTube at some point. Yeah, check it out, like you said. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into it. Where also, start?
0: yeah, one last thing. Just the, the charity, charity update. Uh, it's it's up. It's going. Um, the GoFundMe has one hundred and seventy dollars raised so far. Appreciate everybody that has donated. Fire in some cash there for Meals on Wheels America. It's a great cause, particularly over winter when it's about to get cold as balls uh plus once we hit that mark you will have to replicate some rugby skills live on camera and that will be frankly hysterical for everybody involved so multiple reasons to donate money to a good cause please go help us out it's my pin tweet at pff underscore sam it should also be in the description of this podcast
1: now just get my tweet out there
0: perfect exchanging gifts you want to go to an email first and foremost
1: yeah let's do it start with an email
0: all right this one from kevin fitzgerald Hi, Sam and Steve. Uh, As a lifelong Giants fan and more recent fan of your podcast, I was hoping to get your thoughts on my recent uh, rationalization of the Giants' bizarre success. Bumblebees are too large in comparison to the size of their wings to be able to fly. Science is, according to Google, best explanation for how bees can fly is that their wings just work hard enough to create lift. I think this is the perfect analogy for the Giants this year as there's really no explanation for why they've been able to win eight games aside from just being kind of lucky. If you told me That at the beginning of the year, they'd have eight wins. I'd surely guess that Daniel Jones would have made a massive leap. He hasn't. The receiving core was revived by the new coaching staff. Shepard and Wandale injured. Tony injured and then traded. Gallaudet a shell of his former self. Or that the offensive line has crept past average. It's been a joke aside from Andrew Thomas. These are all him, by the way, not me adding in editorial. Uh, The sheer lack of talent on this roster is astounding, and they've relied heavily on seemingly no-name players such as Fabian Moreau, Jeremy Anderson, Jason Pinnock, Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, and John Campbell for significant playing time. In parentheses, there's two fake names in there that I'm not sure (laughs) non-Giants fans can identify. Which is great. Simply put, their record makes no sense. Anyway, love the show and wanted to get your thoughts on if there were any other Bumblebee teams that you could think of last year's Titans come to mind. Thanks, Kevin. The
1: New York Bumblebees. The New York Bumblebees. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty solid explanation, right? The Giants. First of do- all,
0: is that actually true that bumblebee can't fly according to science? Thing or is that just like an old wives' tale, apocryphal I'm not crap? Gonna, I'm not I've never researched it, but it it feels like we should be able to understand how it works at this point.
1: I'm not sure, but let's roll with it being true. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, even if you go back and look at the Giant season, uh, you know, part of it is just. Yeah, things things fall in the right way. You know the fake names, by the way, from the list. Yeah, I do. Oh, that jacket. Campbell and uh, Anderson or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know who the fake name. That's I know good. who the We're fake giants checking. are. Yeah, just checking. I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty funny because yeah, most people are like yeah, Richie James. Like, who the hell are those guys? Jason Anderson or yeah. whatever he said. Yeah, those of course they're of course they are in great seasons for the Giants. I mean yeah, I mean you're looking at a two point conversion to beat the Titans in Week One. You're looking at a fourth quarter comeback slash collapse. By the Ravens, you know, Lamar turning it over in the fourth quarter for them to win 24 to 20 back in week six. Outside of that, have the Giants beaten any good teams? You could argue maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars, knowing what we know about them now. They beat the Jags a few weeks back. Who else have the Giants beaten? Here, here are the Giants wins. Titans, who I mentioned, the Panthers, Bears, the Packers, six and eight Packers, mm-hmm. Ravens, we just mentioned, Jaguars, or Jags, or Jaggy wires, or Jaguars. I call it myself, do I,
0: This for the last show, I call it myself Americanizing it. I'm disgusted. Yeah. The Texans
1: and the Commanders. And those are the Giants' wins. You know, things happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that about sums it up. Yeah, you wouldn't have expected the season from the Giants. Still have to play the Vikings, the Colts, and the uh, Eagles, wit, wit or without, Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. Did you have any thoughts on the, on the theory?
0: I mean, I think ultimately the answer is coaching, right? They, they're they well-coached this year for the first time in a while. Coaching and a little bit of luck, yeah. Yeah, I mean, luck as well. But I think we said earlier in the season that this team was dramatically overachieving. I think the last few weeks or the second half of the year so far has shown that they were overachieving a little bit. Um, and I think you're kind of seeing it regress a touch. But they're still clearly a well-coached team based off you know everything we're looking at.
1: So there you go. Yeah, I mean, I am interested to see as the— Look, I also think that the regime, right, Uh, Joe Shane coming in and with Brian Dable coming in, good coaching. And then I thought their first two picks, having Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal, who who should develop into a better player over time. I mean, I think they made some good moves this offseason as well. Tough situation to come into.
0: Live fact-checker and sometimes head of analysis or data or whatever his, his actual job is these days, Ben Stockwell, has messaged me to say, what I assume he's copied and pasted from the internet somewhere the science behind how they can fly involves the way they move their wings and the generation of tiny hurricanes that lift them upwards so apparently science does understand how bumblebees fly the generation
1: of tiny hurricanes tiny hurricanes i mean that's like the giants on offense right the generation of tiny hurricanes is the giant's offense yeah okay getting saquon barkley into space sure is the equivalent okay all right what's next on this beautiful show
0: uh We it's are... at present well, time? Uh, well, let's do one more email and then present time. So nflpodcast at pff.com is our email address. If you want to send us interesting stuff, we may or may not read it out. Uh, this one is from, from Danny. Uh, I really enjoy the podcast. I rack up a lot of windshield time during the week and the two-hour pods help eat up the miles. Recently, you talked about momentum and quicksand and I've been thinking about momentum in football since then. As a fan, I've always thought momentum existed and that you can feel it when it's happening. I think what momentum actually is is that the team with momentum is gaining more and more confidence from their run of good plays, and that as confidence builds, they start playing faster and faster and can just react and play without having to think. The flip side, the, the team without momentum starts losing confidence and building up doubt as things snowball uh, snowball against them. And as a result, this team starts thinking instead of reacting and playing slower. The Chiefs-Texans playoff comeback is a great example. The Chiefs struggled early, and suddenly the team could feel doubt creeping in leading to players like Kelsey and Hill dropping simple passes on third down and shit going even further south. Luckily for us Chiefs fans, Mahomes is an alien, and concepts like doubt that apply to us mortals don't apply to him. So the Chiefs were able to rally, gain momentum, and get back to playing fast and free and rattle off seven straight touchdowns. Uh, I would guess Steve has similar feelings when he pitched, but would love to hear your thoughts on my theory. Danny.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a player, you'd – you probably do feel things. The The pushback against it and the thought against it is, do your feels matter, right? right? Like, do your feels actually affect future performance?
0: That's the thing. Like, everybody, I think, that's played a sport feels like it exists and it's real. And you you articulate it very much the same as that. But it, never sh- it, it doesn't show up anywhere statistically, ever. Yeah. So in theory, right, if that was true, if you're feeling uh, low on confidence, things are spiraling, snowballing, you would be able to see that after X bad play, the next play would be more likely to be worse than it would be otherwise, right? Or than it would be when the play before was a good play. But it doesn't, there's no evidence that that is the case. So if it's that simple, that simply, yeah, like the confidence breeds more confidence or lack of confidence and it, it has a magnifying effect on your feeling going forward. You should see that in data and it, it never manifests.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, to test that you would have to, you would almost like tag times when Team X has momentum and, and, and keep, keep those, all those plays tagged as long as possible until they quote unquote lose it. And the one thing you could say is, okay, during that time period where a team has the momentum, is there any sort of uptick in performance? I don't know if it's been specifically viewed through that lens, like actually tagging plays as has momentum, doesn't have momentum. And then during that stretch of, uh, of time, seeing if there's an uptick or a downtick. But then the next question is like, okay, what do you do with that? Where's the action? Because if you're saying that the Chiefs, when they were down 24-0, did not have the momentum, they were just playing poorly, like how did they get it? How did they get it back? How did the Texans lose it? Besides the, would they have like a fake field goal or fake punt or missed field goal or something? They went for a field goal on fourth and one, whatever it was. I mean the usual answer is just you know things regress back the other way positively or negatively so yeah it's kind of like team chemistry right like the Mm -hmm. 07 uh, nashua pride sam yeah yeah that was a big team chemistry team well yeah i mean we were sitting there fourth of july had this fourth of july disaster i think we gave up like 13 runs in an inning yeah manager butch hobson brings us together he's like hey ownership hates you guys wants to cut everybody wants everybody out the door." It's a turning point for our season. We ended up winning the Can Am League Championship.
0: What was the team where like a like a, a virus spread throughout the team? Same so, team. Same team? Yeah. Well there you go. Because that's the kind of bonding experience. I spread you the need.
1: virus. I spread uh, food poisoning across the team. Yeah. We bonded. And at the end of the season, when you're wi- but, but when you're winning, it's like, man, I love my teammates. Chemistry's great. Uh-huh. We went we do stuff together, we hang out and we win. It's good team chemistry. But like if you don't win and you do like your teammates, did the did the chemistry matter? Sure. So, 07, yeah, we had, we had a lot of adversity between food poisoning and the owner wanted to cut everybody, and, and we won the championship. Team chemistry, we bonded.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: everybody remembers that. Of course. So uh, it's uh, it's legendary, really. It is. I wish we had. Uh, wish we had more footage of those times. I think we all do. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com PFF. So shout out to Western and Southern. Western and Southern Studio right here in Cincinnati. Go check them out at westernsouthern.com PFF.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now's present time?
0: Yeah. Let's go presents. All right. So let's start with this, right? What do we have? This is my gift to you, Stephen. I'm going to open it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fire Live it up on right right air. Now. Happy Christmas. So this and isn't like in, uh,
1: in Hollywood. They have like the boxes that you open. No, no, no. <laughs> this is actually like... This
0: is actually terribly wrapped by my own fair hands. Now the box is what it came in. So, you know, it's not that
1: great. This is me ripping the...
0: I think even the people not watching can probably work out what that sound is.
1: It's from Shutterfly.
0: It is. Yeah. But it's what's inside that's the important thing. Let's see. Because this is
1: magical. How do you open this thing? Yeah. Oh, God. It's really not that hard. It's a box with an open end. This is great. Doing a great job here. How
0: can you not open a box? There you go. Found it.
1: I was looking for a nice, easy opening. Whoa. Look at this. <laughs> this is amazing right uh-huh a steve palazzolo fresno grizzlies card uh-huh but it's you yeah it's you dressed minor up as league me. steve what is this
0: that's a little thing it sits in the
1: oh i was gonna say yeah that is amazing right oh that's great great limited edition the, uh, minted baseball card On the desk
0: there's a Sharpie upstairs. I could sign in for you if you'd like to really push the value through the roof. Mm,
1: I don't know. I mm-hmm. don't know if you could replicate this. This is genius. Right? This is great. I love it. Very Shout fun. out,
0: by the way, to Charles Miller, the magician that does a lot of PFFs graphics who helped me out with that. I had it, the, the idea, the concept, but that man turned it into that's, artwork.
1: That's amazing. It really looks like a 1987 baseball card, uh-huh. too, which is well done. We'll clean this up later. Yeah. So that's fantastic. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. What else you got up here?
0: Here, this one is, uh, this one's for Tyler. The producer extraordinaire of the PFF NFL podcast. You're going to need to come out from behind the camera in order to get this. Come on Otherwise, over Otherwise, it's not going to work so well. Happy Christmas, Tyler. That's from me and Steve. Merry Christmas. Got two. Did you tie this?
1: Yeah. What, what's your problem with the You're tie? You're supposed to get the box, you know, the, the box that just opens up. I always up. go bags. It's easier, way easier. <laughs> this is an unbelievable gift you gave here. I know. There what a shot go. that is on the baseball there we team. go look at look that, that. alright what you got there Tyler
0: Super Browns fan Tyler
1: gorgeous
0: got himself a nice quality hoodie thank you and well, that we... gift there is for Eli who's not here so he just, Eli's he's not just here not gonna we'll save it. that for
1: him later <laughs> so uh, we can get Joe Thomas to sign that for you maybe
0: Ooh. he was asking for data during the week so he, well, he, is he owes us one I guess he does always. Yeah. us
1: just yeah. sign this thing for us number 73 alright mm-hmm. right, I have a gift for you oh yeah um I was uh I was thinking cuz you, you do a lot of cooking and food stuff and everything. Uh-huh. I was going to I was thinking about getting you a goose. Okay. Cuz that's like a very British Isles type of uh Christmas feast, right? Uh, yeah. But uh goose is uh tough to find right is it? now. Yeah. Okay. In the one place I checked they didn't have any. Ah, I see. So uh I'm going with the Palazzolo family tradition yeah on Christmas. So for you you're going to have to do this before Christmas because of <laughs> reasons. Oh wow. We eat lobster every Christmas Eve. Wow. So here you go. So that's a bag of live lobster over there. We got two. We got two, two lobsters for you. Lobsters. Okay. <laughs> so uh there you go. That's awesome. Okay. I'm gonna I'm Merry Christmas to you. Just eat them today or tomorrow. Yeah. Before they go bad.
0: They're they're just going to sit there Those, on the table for the rest of this podcast. So. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's why I was wondering if the uh you know the guy who designed the studio is because he
0: yeah he wouldn't like that. Might not be happy. We're, we're using your table to, to house lobster for the moment.
1: That's for you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Have That's a Christmas awesome. feast. I should here grill, on this Wednesday. grill those up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> perfect.
1: I can take them off the. E-haw.
0: Maybe yeah maybe maybe, maybe back into the bag where it's cold and they're not sitting on the desk.
1: This is the guy right here. Yeah. That's for you tonight.
0: Man, you better hope there's not a lot of vegetarians. I found, I found the, the freshest podcast.
1: lobster in Cincinnati. By the yeah,
0: way. I mean it's yeah it's definitely a, a positive that they're still. Alive and kicking.
1: Yes. Yeah, we'll just wipe that down. <laughs> <our name>. So, <laughs> some live lobsters on ice. We'll make sure we uh, keep those for free. We'll clean up here in a little bit. Yeah.
0: So, I mean. in addition to us giving Christmas gifts to each other yeah, on Merry the Christmas, NFL podcast, man. we're going to give Christmas gifts to the NFL teams that need them. So, there are, what, nine teams that are five and eight or worse, and I think we can give each one of them a little, uh, a little Christmas gift. Do you okay. want to start worst first or least worst first?
1: Uh, do worst to first. That's fine. So you, this is like in order of their wor- the record and basically how they're going to draft, essentially, right? Yeah,
0: except three of these teams don't have their own
1: first-round draft pick. Which yeah, is no we'll give them something it. anyway, yeah. Right.
0: So, number one, Houston Texans. They're fighting hard, but they're, you know, on the way to the number one overall pick. Things don't look tremendously rosy for them otherwise. Uh, I am going to give them who I think will be the number one pick in the draft, though. It's very early, and we could easily see, you know, Will Levis from Kentucky jumping this guy. But Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, here's your cornerstone, your new franchise, your new face of the franchise, your new quarterback, the new reason for hope. Houston Texans, Christmas, Merry Christmas, here's Bryce Young.
1: I want to give them the same thing. I also want to give them Bryce Young. Okay. I think that's the guy for them. Um, The whole offseason is going to be fascinating because they're going to need a quarterback, and – the Colts and uh, whether or not Seattle wants to draft a quarterback, like all of those debates are going to be beautiful. The Lions. So the quarterback list, like, is it defined? I don't think it's anything close to defined right now, who the top guy was, much like last year, except yeah. I think there'll be way more first-rounders. But I think Bryce Young is the best gift here for the Houston Texans. I mm-hmm. agree. Okay. We can agree on
0: gifts. Next sometimes. up, Chicago. Uh, I think – What they really want is an elite number one wide receiver for Justin Fields. I actually think, I see you've got offensive line here, just to, you know, ruin the suspense. I think their offensive line's headed in a pretty good direction. I think it's okay. What I think they really are crying out for is the thing that's transformed every offense this offseason. Like, can you get that elite number one guy, whether it was the veteran that all got traded, Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, et cetera, or the first round draft pick that's made a big impact, Garrett Wilson or whatever. Now, I don't think we're gonna see the same caliber of player available even for trades. You know, like you're looking at Brandon Cooks or Mike Evans, like it's not it's not the same, right, as, as you could potentially get a Tyreek Hill. Um, and even the draft, I don't know if it's necessarily as good, but I think either Jordan Addison, USC, who was at Pitt, right, when Kenny Pickett was there last year, or Jackson Smith and Jigba, missed kind of most of the season injured, but if you go back a year ago, that guy was kind of overshadowing Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I mean, we might be talking about a genuinely exceptional wide receiver if teams can kind of get past the fact that he missed most of this year and the fact that he's unlikely to light up the world
1: in terms of 40 time. Well, I think Justin Fields would love that gift, Sam. He would appreciate that. And I like where your head's at. That's usually my, my take is to, is to go the receiver route and everything, but I, I did write offensive line here for Mm -hmm. the Bears because I think the Bears and Fields are doing more to protect them than anything right because they're not pass protecting they are one of the worst teams in the league in pass protection when it comes to true pass sets and we want Fields to take the next step in his development right we don't necessarily want him to rush for a thousand yards for the rest of every year for the rest of his career he's got he has every passing tool in the toolbox and you can't use those tools unless you get the offensive line in front so I just went overall offensive line not just one person, not just one player, but general help along the offensive line for the Chicago Bears.
0: Okay, what are we? Uh, who's up next? Next up is Denver. Now, first team where Denver doesn't have their own first round draft pick. They're packing it away to Seattle because of Russell Wilson. So that's a bit of a double kick to the stones. Um, therefore, I can't go to the draft. Well, I can, but I, not the first round. I'm gonna give them coaching help. I'm going gonna, gonna to say that instead – so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect them from the obvious knee-jerk reaction, which I think is a mistake. You know, Okay, the coaching this year, it's been bad. Russell Wilson is a, is a, is a problem. They're kind of stuck with him. So everybody's saying they're going to go find a guy that has some success with Russell Wilson. That's what I'm saying. Plug that's him that. in, whether it's a head coach, whether it's an offensive coordinator, that's going to be the solution. I'm going to say, you know what, that's not the right move. These guys are not necessarily in – prime positions of coaching for a reason, right? They may have had success with Russell Wilson, but we were still wondering why it wasn't as good as we thought it should be. So I'm just gonna give them what looks like to be the best offensive mind available. Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, has put himself in the head coaching mix with his play calling performance this year. I'm gonna say, install that man as head coach in Denver. As head coach? Yes. really. I don't think the the Hackett thing's gonna work. Install Ben Johnson as head coach, let him bring his offense, let him fix Russell Wilson, don't give it to somebody that's worked with him before.
1: Interesting, because there's, there's, a, there's a school of thought that Denver just made a move for an offensive coordinator, first-time head coach, who looks pretty overwhelmed with the job, and I'm not saying Ben Johnson would be overwhelmed with the job, mm-hmm. but that might sound risky for Denver as but, a gift. Yeah, I mean, a head coach, I get any, what you're any saying. new head coach is always a risk, right? Uh, maybe call Brian Schottenheimer, he had success with Russell Wilson. Ryan Schronheimer yeah. the fix. He might be the fix. I mean, I my gift for Denver is um, a little more pragmatic. Okay. A time machine. You give Denver a time machine, you get Russell Wilson from about 2015 or 16. A time machine is yes. A gift. Yes, you give him a time machine. This being the season of miracles. Yes, okay. Broncos need a time machine. They don't need 33-year-old Russ, they need 27-year-old Russ. Hmm. So a time machine would absolutely solve the Broncos' problems. Look, we got some poetic I mean, if license here to do what we want.
0: Well, as long as you're giving them a time machine, they could just rewind to before getting Russell Wilson, not make the trade. Oh, you could do that too. Yeah. I was going to
1: say a time machine to get a better Russell Wilson. Yeah, see, there you go. Ben, live fact checkers saying, they're saying oh. the same thing. I mean, the other thing you do is you could, you could rewind to like Super Bowl 50 and just enjoy the Super Bowl as uh, Peyton Manning drags the Broncos to a championship. Yeah, You could do that. I mean, so the time machine has – Many can t- uses. You could go back to John Elway. Yeah, I don't know how many times you can use a time machine, but Denver could use it just, right now. You
0: start replaying your greatest hits. Yeah, you go first of all. We'll visit Peyton Manning Super Bowl, then we'll visit John Elway we'll Super Bowl. watch Bowls, the couple Elways. Just, just
1: watch him. Yeah, and just rewind again. That's what the Broncos could use.
0: Okay, all right. Next up, the Los Angeles Rams, another team without their own first round pick. So if they were drafting at the top of the draft, a guy like Will Anderson from Alabama, edge rusher, would be amazing for them, but they're not. Um, so I think they should revisit the Brian Burns trade there was talk that they were offering a whole bunch of first round picks that they don't own to uh to trade for brian burns for the trade deadline didn't get done you know carolina has sort of won some games and actually could really torpedo themselves in the draft if they somehow win the division you know drop like 12 spots in the draft just by playing postseason football i think the rams might be able to find a package that would get them brian burns which would add like in a high-end, consistent edge rusher to
1: a, a defensive front that doesn't have anything outside of Aaron Donald, essentially. You still want to give them Brian Burns? Yeah. Not with their next couple first-round picks, right?
0: I mean, you know. I mean, this year's motto for
1: the Rams has to be like. I feel like use his price, picks, right? Use them.
0: Yeah, but I feel like his asking price or the asking price for Brian Burns will have come down since before the deadline, when you know the selling teams are always they know buyers are uh, paying a premium i think in the cold lighted day in the off season i think there's a package to be made for brian burns that wouldn't be insane and involve two first round picks
1: yeah I, i've thought outside the box with this because you're a lot of like here you will give them this player i'll give them this coach right. what have you given them i will give the rams the secret to magic Alchemy. either either the tb12 method okay for who the entire team oh for health purposes or just their old trainer like <laughs> yeah, their the old, vikings right? hired away the, the yeah. vikings guy give him back yeah Right, Rams kids stay healthy. I was uh, Jordan Rodriguez, you know, from the from the Athletic. We had her on the show earlier this year. I feel like, you know, every tweet of hers is somebody else is hurt. Well, it, but it's most it's like the Rams offensive line reshuffle. Yeah, right? again. this guy's going into guard. This guy's going to center. This guy, you know, <laughs> we've got uh, Jackie Slater's coming in at left tackle. It was just it's it's, yeah, it's just a mess.
0: Yeah, they had like they they had a couple of weeks where they had the same five guys in the offensive line, and actually it was. It performed well like it was moving in the right direction it looked pretty good and then I, I filed the offensive line rankings this week and it's like ah we got another guy down we're gonna move shuffle two more players and back
1: come on like how hard is it so tb12 method for health or more likely the guy that minnesota stole from him. what's his name we, we just I keep don't referencing remember. It. It I, we should look it up i mean it matters point. yeah guy's a name he's got well, a family it's, it's not a
0: christmas time thing you know we'll we'll do that kind we'll of do that later in a different day yeah, all right but arizona Arizona, they, they're the latest officially eliminated team. I'm going to give them a new coach too. I think the most obvious change there, honestly, I think the whole like organization kind of needs a reboot, but the most obvious change is to give them a new, exciting coach, and in particular on defense. I think they've spent a lot of picks on some dynamic, talented players on defense that in theory should be able to form the nucleus of like a genuinely... Special and unusual defense, but right now it isn't. So I'm going to give him D'Amico Ryans, current defense coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, arguably the best defense in the NFL, uh, widely regarded as, you know, a hot coaching candidate and, you know, good defensive mind.
1: So I kind of like it because D'Amico, you know, everybody's raving about his linebackers in San Francisco. D'Amico is a linebacker. So Mm -hmm. you're saying getting the most out of Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, linebacker slash slot. Maybe D'Amico's the guy to do that. Mm-hmm. Steal them from the division rival 49ers. I like that. That's a good gift. Thank you for Arizona. Uh, my thought for them is a trade down in the top ten. You're that's gifting
0: them a trade down.
1: gifting them a trade down. Somebody's going to come up. Right now they're at four in the uh, pecking order per our draft order. Okay. I hope that's right. Uh, right now they're at four and they have Kyler Murray. I was gonna I was gonna be funny and say you know some sort of uh, you know, Call of Duty related. What do you, what do you, what do you buy as a Call of Duty? You're going to be funny, but you couldn't even like get to the end of your own joke. I don't know the terminology yeah. anymore. I know, uh, I know Super Mario. No, I'm not, wow, I'm just kidding. I'm not that old.
0: Which was your first? What was your first uh, console? What was your first platform? It was Nintendo original. NES, the original, original NES? Nintendo. Yeah, yes. With uh, you're old. Yeah. Uh, what was yours? Uh, I think it was the original nes or it was the
1: yeah what we call the mega drive you call the genesis sega genesis yeah i went from nintendo to sega genesis i was always slow to move was always slow to yeah
0: i went from original nes yeah mega drive genesis and then i jumped all the way i think to the first playstation
1: yeah first playstation's next yeah i was playing madden 98 99 whenever playstation came out and my buddy's like dude you gotta check out the Polygonal Madden yeah. players. I'm like, nah, man, I'm in, I'm on Genesis. I got, I'm used to the game and all this yeah, stuff. But then so PlayStation old. was a game changer.
0: We are so old.
1: Right? And then after PlayStation, you got the PS2 and you, you just yeah. go from there. Uh-huh. But um yeah, I didn't do Super NES. No, I never had one of those. Never did that. I mean,
0: everybody else had one of those. We were
1: Sega people. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, PlayStation. N64 though, there was a lot, there was a period of time where people had both, right? You could get the PlayStation yeah. and the N64. They mm-hmm. all had their, they had their strengths and weaknesses.
0: We had one of those in our college, uh, you know,
1: the college house. The GoldenEye. I, I yeah, mean, yeah, exactly. GoldenEye on N64. Right. Was, we're not that old. Like half our audience, like, raise your hand, put a comment in the chat. If you were a GoldenEye player, right? We're really old. There's a lot of people in here who are like, sure. I played GoldenEye in college. It was great. I mean, that was like Call of Duty's got nothing on GoldenEye. Anyway. I'm giving them a trade down. They got their quarterback. They're going to have someone desperate to come up, and Arizona can help replenish this roster with multiple picks. If they're picking four, five, six, whatever it is, trade down, trade down, trade down. Forget about Will Anderson and Jalen Carter if you're Arizona.
0: I, uh, replenish that defense. I, I forgot there was a live chat going. Somebody guy in there, Train 92 says he once had a guy going around selling lobster in his freshman year dorm. You oh, didn't buy great. these from a guy in a dorm room, did you? No, I didn't. Okay. Them.
1: Yeah, went went down to
0: UC. Reputable source. Picked up some lobsters
1: right down here in uh, Finley Market.
0: All right, Colts. Where are you going? Oh, well, Colts. I'm giving them – look, they just benched Matt Ryan again. Nick Foles. You're giving <laughs> them Nick Foles. <laughs> Nick Foles is going to start. They've been through uh, Sam Ellinger. I'm going to give them Will Levis, the Kentucky – the guy that's, I think, going to soar in this draft because he's the only one that looks like, you know, the prototypical quarterback. The size, the arm strength, the giant hands apparently. I Look, you got to ding him a little bit for putting – mayo and his coffee and eating bananas without taking the skin off and Huge stuff. Huge Yeah, but there are going to be teams that look at that and go, this is what a quarterback's supposed to look like. I'm going to fall in love with that. I'm going to draft the guy high.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I just wrote down any quarterback, <laughs> just any any first-round quarterback that's going to instill some level of hope there. I haven't done my evaluations yet. I'm not I'm yeah. not that far down the road to say it's going right. to be Levis or it's got to be Stroud. It's, it needs to be any quarterback mm-hmm. that will give Jim Ursay something to wake up for in the morning when it comes to managing the Colts, yeah. right? And running the Colts and, and feeling good about them. Um, their coaching search will be fascinating this offseason as well mm-hmm. to see where they go. But I just said any quarterback
0: okay. for them. Uh, next up, Atlanta. I'm going to give them a defensive player. I'm going to give them Jalen Carter, the guy from the, the Georgia defense who I think was probably the best player on it last year it was for all the first-rounders they had. Jordan Davis and um, all the the phenomenal... Like, how many... Players on that
1: defense went in the draft. So, insane number. kobe Dean, Jordan Davis. Yeah. Like, I
0: think Jalen Carter was the best Trayvon guy Walker. on that defense. Devontae yeah. Wyatt, like, Wyatt. He outshone Devontae Three Wyatt. Three first
1: round defensive linemen. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, he outshone Devontae Wyatt, who was a, a first round defensive tackle. He outshone Jordan, Jordan Davis. Same thing. He outshone uh, the number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker. He was the guy on that defense. So, if Atlanta can get him as a Brady Jarrett's successor or just a guy to put alongside him, that's that's money.
1: Yeah, I kind of said something similar. I said either Willie Anderson or Jalen Carter. And this was, you know, Atlanta at seven overall. Are they going to go quarterback, right? Mm -hmm. Because Desmond, they didn't highly invest in Desmond Ritter. They're probably going to go quarterback as well, which is going to make this, I mean, this draft is going to be nuts because as of right now, there's probably five teams in the top 10 who definitely need a quarterback. And then, depending on how you judge the Lions and the Seahawks, it could be six, right? Five or six that definitely need a quarterback. And as of right now, Falcons at seven could be on the outside looking in. So that top, those top defensive players could just fall. Mm-hmm. So it could be Will Anderson or Jalen Carter for the, for the Falcons, a team that's been looking for like, how many times have they failed on first-round edge rushers over the last few years. Right. So finally hitting on one, right? They could also use a time machine. Also a time machine. every team yeah. to go back to like when it was 28 to three yeah maybe make a couple different like don't fumble make a play a couple different One. decisions yeah at any point in the second half so time machine is mm-hmm. the gift that keeps on giving for all really teams. is
0: uh carolina they need a coach so all right i've already given what two coaches away so with the, the cover's getting a little bit bare there but shane steichen the offensive coordinator for the eagles i think is a guy that's gonna get a lot of buzz given what's happened with that offense with jalen hurts Is it time Leslie Frazier got another shot? Like that defense in Buffalo has been so good for so many years. Um, I I don't generally like coaching retreads as a concept, but it sort of feels like Frazier's earned another gig and maybe this time it's different.
1: Um, So much consistency with Buffalo's defense the last few years. Yeah,
0: and again, like a a defense in Carolina that's loaded with a lot of good players. like. It feels like he should he could be able to do something very good with those guys.
1: I, I didn't give away D'Amico Ryans yet, so D'Amico could go here. I like the idea of Steichen, though. I mean, most teams – was Matt Rule a defensive coach or an offensive coach? He's kind of both, right? Yeah. I don't know what Matt – a lot of times you go the opposite. The recruiter. Yeah, Matt Rule the recruiter. A lot of times you go the opposite of whatever you just had. Um, I don't think there's a rule. you got to go offense. you got to go defense. They definitely need – just an influx of, of leadership there in Carolina. Something to turn things around. I'll give them. we'll say Steichen because he's, he's done a great job with, uh, with Philadelphia and their offense. Um, also a quarterback. They could also use any quarterback as well. But I'm doing the coach giveaway. Steichen or D'Amico Ryans, we'll say. Mm-hmm.
0: And the last team, New Orleans. Another team that does not have their own first-round pick um, because of the trades they made last year. I think they desperately need some form of interior offensive line help i know they've thrown a lot of resources at that recently but it's none of them have worked so i'm gonna give them elton jenkins uh if for no other reason than with all the reshuffling they've been doing this year in the offensive line jenkins can play anywhere perfect reshuffling. anywhere you need him anybody in your offensive line goes down jenkins goes in
1: fixes it uh, along the lines of the time machine i'm gonna give <laughs> give them their philadelphia trade pack. yeah give for, them the trade that's,
0: back which which was that Olave the pick or the? Penny I don't know pick? which
1: one it ended up being, but I think it was probably Olave, and and they would want Olave. Yes, but of the two, again, if if Olave became Chris Carter in his career, would Chris Carter be worth five players? I, I don't, I don't know. It'd be close, but if you could guarantee that he was going to be Chris Carter, just making up a Hall of Fame name, That's good. if you could guarantee that he was going to become Chris Carter, would you give up five players for that? You can make that discussion, but um. I think there's probably some, not regret, but you have to go back and say, we're not, as the Saints, we're not in a spot to give up five for one. The roster's not in that type of position. So Trevor
0: Penning was the pick from Philadelphia. so,
1: So Penning specifically was, yeah. And so the, remember like the reasoning behind it was, oh, we get our, we get next year's first rounder a year early. Hmm. Well, Penning hasn't seen the field pretty other much. than as like an extra tight end for the most part, right? Yeah, last so, couple of weeks. Right, so Penning has not seen the field a ton. You didn't really get and You can't predict that. Of course, it was injury.
0: Well, no, but what you could have predicted is that James Hurst was actually a reasonable left tackle because right now, Trevor Penning's healthy and they're not making that switch, right? Because yeah, James not Hurst actually played pretty well. Yeah. James Hurst had some history of playing pretty well as a stopgap left tackle when you need him because remember, Teron Armstead was their left tackle. Teron Armstead always misses some games in the season so they'd actually seen a reasonable amount of James Hurst to tackle and it went well so that part you know if you're like do we really need this first round tackle now this year ASAP the answer to that I think was predictable
1: and uh, the answer being a no yeah so I would give I would give that trade a a redo on that trade okay because also right now forget forget about what you got with the pick last year you now have given the, the, the ninth overall pick yeah is the Eagles. Like, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Trevor Penning has to be worth last year's first round, whatever the en- it ended up being, right? Chris Olave needs to be worth five players, basically. And uh, we're just not getting that. So, there you go. Okay. A lot of people in the chat, good point here. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of Gen Z watching the football nerd content. Like, we're, our our uh, demographic here is very much probably old. a you know, Zenial-ish, right? Like us. You know, high-end. High end millennials, older we're on, millennials.
0: We're on YouTube, isn't that where the Gen Z people hang out?
1: Hmm, maybe. Maybe our. <laughs> or do maybe we need to be on audio. TikTok for that? I think TikTok, uh, Gen Z is definitely not on YouTube as okay. much.
0: It's maybe. more of a, a, a millennial thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so millennials, millennials were golden eye people. Yeah, just a yeah. band. Older millennials? Yeah. So we got the right people. It can't be odd job. It's no. It's too short. You can't shoot them. Yeah. Nobody's allowed to use odd job in Goldeneye that is a rule and it should be standard across the board okay and nobody wanted to be what's his name Jaws or whatever right yeah because he was too tall I watched a movie recently with him in not as Jaws or something else interesting As like a
0: it was like a Chechen partisan or something during how the war how big is he it's how pretty big, big to play? yeah it was the most it was a uh, what the hell was it like Force 10 from Navarone or something which has Harrison Ford in it right from before he was huge had Carl Weathers in it you Apollo, know the guy yeah, from yeah. Rocky Apollo Apollo yeah. uh, Jaws it had some guy who I recognized as being a Nazi because apparently he's in Indiana Jones as a Nazi later on. So like Harrison Ford That's was so enamored was. by the man's job as a Nazi that in casting years later for Indiana <laughs> Jones, like, you know who's a really great Nazi? This guy, whoever he is. We need to get him. I mean, when you find your role, you just, you just, <laughs> you just Hollywood. Draw. I mean, look, being typecast as
1: a, an SS officer is, is quite, the, quite the career. I mean, no, nobody wants to do it either. So Also true. Get some work. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, it's the holiday spirit, man. We're just, uh, we're here to give away stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're here to give away some Manscaped. It's never too early to play that holiday music. And it's never too early to start thinking about gifts like we just did. Whether it's for a friend or for for the friends in your pants, Sam. Yes. You can make this a season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor and use the Lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in Manscaped's top of the line shower products to have the people thinking. All I want for Christmas is you. Santa cares about this sack, and so should you. <laughs> it's just like stacked up. It's like a comedian just stacking yeah. up jokes. Yeah, they're really just... You got you to gotta leave a little time for a chuckle. You do. You know what I mean? Uh, look nice when you get naughty by going to manscaped.com slash PFFNFL for free shipping and 20% off. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. He has everything needed. It has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls. Just in time for mistletoe season. The Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new body buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. So save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com pffnfl. That's pffnfl. That's right, 20% off free shipping. Go to manscapes.com pffnfl. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from manscaped your balls will thank you what a show so far really outstanding show is the lobster still kicking
0: i mean yeah
1: they're on ice that should keep them you think safe enough right yeah yeah i mean who knows i've never gonna had... boil... what are you going to do you going to grill them i think so yeah do you throw them right on the grill when they're alive because i know you got to boil them when they're alive normally i've never grilled no them.
0: i think you're supposed to again like this is not a vegetarian friendly conversation but i think you get the knife in the head <laughs> and then split them Before down Before grilling half. them. Yeah. yeah, split them down the middle, some you know, compound butter on them, grill them. Oh,
1: yeah, that's good. Our holiday tradition was actually, yeah, we, we'd get them killed and sliced up. We'd stuff them. We'd, stuff, we'd stuffed lobster. was right. our uh, yeah. Christmas Eve tradition. I might come over tonight, actually, for this. <laughs> so, where are we going with the show? What's next? Where's my list here? Well, we haven't talked about Monday Night Football yet. So no, we, we should probably cover that. Quick touch, time. Monday Night Football, Green Bay Packers defeat the Los Angeles Rams. Mm-hmm. It was close. Packers pulled away for a bit in the uh, in the second half. Yeah. Big takeaway: Baker Mayfield's not as good when he's got the whole playbook.
0: It, it does seem that way. The more knowledge he has, the more problematic it is. Um, Baker Mayfield, 12 of 21 for 111 yards, one touchdown and one interception. The interception was weird because I I'm pretty sure the turf monster got him when he went to set to stride to put his front foot forward to stride into the throw his cleats look like they caught on the turf and
1: send him completely off balance, like top to bottom. I mean, initially it just looks like his arm got hit because the thing right. floated. But
0: I'm pretty sure on the replay, you see his cleats get caught in the turf and the whole thing spiraled into a like a dead throw that just landed in the arms of a defender. Now, that's his fault, you know? Yeah. Like you were He's in control. trying to avoid of, the pressure. Right, but like you're in control of your own feet. If you get caught on the turf and fall over, that's kind of on you, you know what I mean? But it's different to just, terrible decision terrible accuracy you know what i mean it's i I don't know there's some sort of asterisk you want to put there mentally for it um but yeah baker i were some throws in there maybe that looked good but the whole thing didn't look great yeah i
1: mean they, they converted a couple third and longs early on and that was that was pretty much it for uh for the rams it was 24 to 12 was the final. Aaron Jones ran the ball well for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers outside of a couple weird throws. A couple of like
0: inexp like completely non Aaron Rodgers type turnover. Alan play.
1: Lazard tried to take credit for the for the Yoink, you call it the Yoink play yeah. leak. Um, it did look like an overthrow there. And he threw another one just out of safety into coverage that got negated by I, mean, a I little think
0: Alan attack. Lazard understands the assignment of yeah. I don't throw Aaron Rodgers under the bus. Rodgers throws us under the bus.
1: There was also a point at the end of the game where they were doing whatever they could. Packers were up 24-12, to doing whatever they could to get Christian Watson into the end zone. I don't know if Watson had some sort of rookie record he's trying to set or what, but they tried to get him in space, in garbage time, into the end zone, and then Rodgers tried to throw a quick little adjustment to Watson when he wasn't even looking, and called him out in the post-game interview. Mm. Um, but I think, look, the Packers' offense, for whatever it's worth, does look so much better still. Yeah. These last five, six, pretty much since the Detroit game or game after that, um, much better. Romeo Dobbs is out there looking uh, a lot like the hype in the preseason as far as route running and catching the ball. Watson, when he is running the right routes, is, is still good in dynamic. So, yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, you have to remember, this is a Rams team that's – terrible and then had like a brief moment of sunshine when baker mayfield pulled a miracle with like two days notice of the playbook you know what i mean so you take i mean you take that away or you just park it to the side for a minute then you're talking about a run of what seven straight defeats like this is a bad team so if green bay couldn't at least look competent against the rams that would have been a major problem so it's kind of like yeah like okay green bay looked better but really
1: this is a should have had a game and you did Green Bay is 6 and 8 now. They need a ton of help. Yes, to get into the playoffs. They'd obviously have to win out and get um, the right teams losing. But their remaining schedule, they're going to play at Miami on Christmas Day, but then they're home the last two games, Minnesota Vikings on New Year's Day and the Lions to finish the season. The Lions who beat them already, but there's a potential Packers, you know, the Lions might be playing for a playoff spot, Packers aren't. There's potential that the Packers are still with a glimmer of hope in that last week against the Lions so something to keep an eye on here down the stretch mm-hmm. anything else on Monday Night Football wasn't, no wasn't I, the best game I, yeah
0: I don't think there's an awful lot to take out of this game other than the Rams are now injured again on the offensive line they're reshuffling again that was one thing that had started to kind of come together a little bit and, and move in the right direction the Baker may feel like he's in a rough spot as much as it was really impressive what he managed off 48 hours notice like he's it's a bad situation like f- f- not just for baker for any quarterback like matthew stafford didn't look great in this offense and we saw how good he looked a year ago when everything was good so
1: the rams just need this season to end like as, as possible and uh so brian allen the center he left the game and then ben skoranek they both have strained calves yeah. and they're out for the season right which uh made me think out loud is is there a calf uh issue this year around the league did i ask this the other day a
0: calf issue
1: yeah I feel like there's way more calf injuries than ever. Right. Is this anecdotal? Can someone look this up? I believe so. Can we get some injury people on this? I can look it up. We have a database of injuries. I'll look it up. I'll do some research on the calf injury. It feels like we're getting a lot of them. Okay. Like, how bad could a calf be? Let me know how that, come, how that comes out. <laughs> I mean, as a calf injury survivor, <laughs> yeah, I should. Uh, uh-huh. I should have some insight here. You should. But um, I don't. You don't. I don't. You got nothing. I just know I survived pretty, pretty easily. You did. Since it was made up.
0: Fake, yes. You know? I mean, I think it's a lot easier to survive a fake injury than it is a real one.
1: You would think. Mm. I've done worse before. All right, Packers win. Moved to 6-8. and eight, They're still alive. Mm-hmm. We got an autopsy to do? Yep. So the uh, Arizona Cardinals and, and the – do we do the Rams? The Rams were officially eliminated. They get eliminated well. with that loss as well? Yes. Okay. Cardinals and Rams officially eliminated. So what went wrong What's the autopsy?
0: Well, so uh, Cardinals first. Um, so they had been broadly moving in the right direction year on year, but at the end of the season, it always ended badly. And that I think made the perception or the feels about the team, as you like to say, worse than it should have been based off the kind of overall big picture trajectory. But this season, they stopped moving in the right direction in a major way. And it's difficult to sort of identify what specific thing went wrong except to say all of it did. But like Kyla Murray for a start, you know, they they should be commended as a franchise for what they did to get Kyla Murray in the first place. They draft Josh Rosen in the first round. That's usually a pretty long-term commitment for a quarterback. It was one of the worst, most disastrous first years any quarterbacks ever had. So it gets them the number one overall pick and all of a sudden you're presented with the option of a guy like Kyla Murray. The downside being it is Shopping out, I mean, it's ending the career almost of the guy you drafted a year ago in the first round. So, one, it's a giant sunk cost to eat, and a lot of teams don't like doing that. Two, it's really harsh on the guy whose career you're trying to end by getting rid of him. Um, so, I think they deserve a lot of credit for having the guts to make that move. I don't think it's the slam dunk that it's portrayed to be with hindsight. But then they were being proved right. Like, Kyler Murray has a pretty good rookie year. Um, is better in year two, is even better in year three, where his big-time throw rate was almost 8%, which is an insane number. His turnover-worthy play rate had gone down every single year as well. We were seeing Kylo Murray take incremental steps forward every year, particularly as a passer. Um, Obviously, he's a dynamic rushing threat, and and that's just going to be part of his game. And then this year, he just stopped making big plays. They they haven't been there at any point this year. He has a big-time throw rate, of 2.2% this year. That's worse than Tua when he had no help around him for the last couple of years in Miami and we were like, is this guy even a viable NFL quarterback? He's been making no kind of big plays this year and the bad plays have spiked a little bit as well. But like Kyla Murray's level of play across the board just drove off a cliff this season.
1: Yeah, I, I start with this, uh, the Nuke Hopkins suspension, what, seven games, whatever it was? I start with that, right? And that that coincides with exactly what you're saying with the Kylo Murray stuff. Remember, there was a point where I'm like, dude, how is he averaging exactly six yards per attempt or f- like his yards per attempt every single week? 5.7, 5.7, 5.4, 6.5, 6, 6. I mean, it was just a low-impact offense, the opposite of an explosive offense. It was underneath stuff, and I don't know how much of that was Nuke Hopkins. Um What went wrong? You know, not seeing Nuke and... and Marquise Brown out there a ton with Kyler Murray. like they, How many games did they actually get to play with each other? Um, so yeah, I go back if you want to go back all the way to like the, they chose Kyler Murray over Josh Rosen, that was still the right move, mm-hmm. right? They went from the worst franchise in the NFL in 2018 to a playoff franchise, right? One that was 7-0 at one point in the 2021 season and playing playoff games. So it was the right move. Just everything seemed to go wrong this year. The defense. I mean, that, that was the other part, too. <clears throat> I thought there were three teams this offseason who, maybe four. No, no, three teams this offseason who I don't think the offseason felt good, right? Just didn't feel good along the way. Stood out as not feeling good. I thought Arizona was one of the teams, Tennessee was one of the teams, and Dallas was one of the teams. Two out of those three. Arizona and Tennessee, I think you're starting, like Tennessee, you're just starting to see some of that disappointment maybe show up. Maybe Steve was right a little bit about that feeling. Uh, Dallas, it doesn't seem to matter a ton. Right. Um, and then Arizona, I think you're starting to see it. I mean, you, I think you saw it right from the beginning where the defense just, what what didn't feel right in Arizona was not fixing a secondary. And they have five defensive touchdowns. If you take those out, all of their defensive numbers, I mean, there's just it's just five plays, but their defense has just not been good. So,
0: and that's part of why I think Dallas hasn't gone in that same trend because their defense take, took a giant step forward from the giant step forward that they took a year ago. You know what I mean? They've, yeah. Their defense is
1: really good. They've offset it by, like, Micah Parsons being a freak show right. and um, Dak being solid. And, you know, they even, even when the offseason doesn't feel good, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to be bad. It just means maybe you didn't improve, mm-hmm. right? And, and that could be true for Dallas, right? We'll see. But um, I think that caught up to Arizona as well. How about the Rams? That's pretty easy. Yeah. Everybody injuries. got hurt.
0: Everybody got hurt. They went from everybody. Nobody gets hurt because we've cracked injuries. We have solved injuries with science and with medical research and with the recovery room and with all the things we've been doing. We are the smartest franchise in the NFL. F them picks. We just won a Super Bowl to, like, bang, everybody's hurt, and now we suck.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, last year, the Rams had the, the, the highest – Non QB wins above replacement that we've ever seen in the PFF era, meaning their non quarterbacks added more value to their team than any any team we've ever seen previously. They had three of the top five in that category, most valuable non quarterbacks in the NFL, and Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and Cooper Cup. Even if those guys stayed healthy, it would be difficult for them to replicate it. But um, Ramsey's still been good, but he gives up. He's been giving up more big plays this year. Um, Donald, not as good as he had been previously, but still awesome. And then Cup gets hurt, right? It was always going to be tough for them to replicate what Cup could do. But it, it started, like, the first thing that went wrong was the offensive line, right? And it wasn't just injuries. It was, hey, Andrew Whitworth retired. We had to replace him with Joseph Noteboom. We paid him a ton of money and expected good left tackle play. And he struggled against anybody, any good rusher, before he got hurt. Yeah. So they just couldn't run an offense, even when Cooper Cup was healthy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Allen Robinson didn't hit like they were hoping to. They couldn't figure out a way to properly fit him into the offense
0: as which this
1: ex-ISO like, receiver.
0: Yeah, which again, might've been different had everybody been healthy and they were actually able to run last year's offense with Allen Robinson, not this year's offense where everybody's hurt and nothing can function.
1: It, it may have, they may have figured it out. Just like uh, OBJ, they had a slow start. Yeah. And then they they found a way to get him involved every single week. They may have gotten there with Allen Robinson. right? Um, but then, you know, short answer, literally everybody got hurt the
0: big question rams. for them is like was this just the inevitable the other shoe dropped you know after a couple of years of getting really lucky with injuries or like, genuinely was the guy that left this the the thing that solved all the injuries like because if it was you gotta you got real problems trying to fix that
1: yeah it's a good question i don't know um it's gonna be interesting this offseason to see where the rams go um, a lot of the giving up future first-round picks has been to bring in stars. But, again, if those – not that they did that to go get Cup, but when you lose the stars that you're relying on, you go into the depth of your roster. And if the depth isn't there, then, you know, it's tough to it's tough to compete. Tyler so. Williams is this guy's name, by the way. The guy that the Vikings oh. hired away from the Rams. That, the one who I gifted back to the Rams? Yeah. Tyler Williams. Mm-hmm. Back to the Rams.
0: But, like, if he was the reason, you know, that's a problem because he isn't there anymore. Yeah. So like they they I think have a very difficult job now and into this offseason trying to figure out if they just got unlucky this year or if they actually left let something leave the building that was a really important part of why they've been good the last couple
1: of years. The recovery science and all that stuff though, it it has to be bigger than one person. I would say the same thing about like Bill Belichick the coach, but it it, it seems illogical that a Bill Belichick assistant assistants struggle to have success elsewhere like why can't you just replicate what belichick does but that's far more complicated isn't it than the rams have this entire system of recovery and nutrition and um load management or whatever they have like the system's still in place right like whatever tyler williams left there still must be in place with the rams i mean maybe or maybe the guy that took over changed
0: it all like some people are some people don't That's possible too. You know what I mean? Some people don't have respect for what lay before them in an institution. They come in, they change a bunch of things without thinking about it, or without just like I'm. This is my job now. I'm going to do it my way. Maybe your way isn't as good, Hmm. you know. So be a good lesson for. I'm just saying, if they they did, this guy has a career rec or a track record that they were top ten in for like four straight years of whatever injury metric you want to use, and then he leaves, and they become like the most injury riddled team in the NFL. Like, okay. It could be coincidence. It's entirely possible. On the other hand, there could be something to it, and now the Rams have to figure out which one of those two things is true.
1: Yeah, because we had this discussion many times too. Like most analysts would look at the Rams and be like, "No way. They're not, it can't be. They can't be that much better at everybody right. than injury prevention." And maybe so, they weren't.
0: Like you can go, you can be lucky for four years. Sure. You know, it's not the most outrageous thing in the world to
1: suggest, but it's just more, more curious when you look at the Vikings. Yeah. Having success. Exactly.
0: Vikings having success, you immediately having no success. Like there are a lot, there are, It's only really one data point, but it's it sort of from multiple different angles, it looks the same, which is a pretty big red flag.
1: All right. I think that's it for the autopsies. autopsies, right? Yep. All right. What else, what else do we have here? Explain the grade. I oh, don't do it. Let's explain the grade. I'm um, sure PFF will have me with a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. All
0: right. So this one is not going to be a TikTok-friendly video. So apologies to Saul from the, the TikTok guys, the social guys ahead of time. But this is more of a free-ranging kind of conversation because we need to have a conversation about the Kirk Cousins grade from Saturday uh, where he executed... Greatest comeback in NFL history. The largest comeback in NFL history. A 33 to nothing deficit at the half. Cousins ends up passing for, what was it, 417 yards? Four touchdowns. uh, Two interceptions, right? And neither of which was his fault. Um, And what, a passer rating of 99, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, puts up some monster numbers. Greatest comeback of NFL history. Reasonably average pedestrian PFF grade. What the hell? Right? Yeah. So... The first thing is, I think I was genuinely surprised because, by the way, this all came because somebody snipped like the 10 seconds we mentioned this on Monday's podcast out, tweeted it, you know, to angry Vikings fans who are now up in my mind. I don't think you it worded
1: it the way you would want to Word You said something along the lines of cousins didn't do anything in the comeback didn't or do something much, like yeah. that. But the point is, like, I don't think you worded that the right way, though. Maybe right?
0: not, but. It's also like, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you understand the context of what we're saying, which is everything is based off, like, the baseline of expectation for a player, Yeah, you know? Like, what do you expect random quarterback, running back, wide receiver, defensive end, whatever, to do in a given situation? And then were you better or worse than that? Like, that is our starting point for all of our analysis on players, right? So when you're saying Cousins didn't do much, the missing context that you chop out if you're just posting that snippet on on, online to people that don't listen to the podcast is relative to an average quarterback plugged in in the same situation overall. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So that I think is an important little bit of context. Uh, But I think I was genuinely surprised that people thought the cousins had a great game coming out of that game because during it, like, at no point was anybody like, oh, wow, Cousins is cooking right now. The Vikings are on the way back. Like, he's going to do it. Him. It's Cousins, right? Like, you know, the way, and a lot of Vikings fans are like, oh, if Patrick Mahomes made this comeback, you'd be, you know, losing your minds over it. But it's different. Like, Mahomes has done a lot of big comebacks. That's true.
1: All I do is criticize Mahomes. So. Yeah.
0: Number one, we've criticized that a lot. So that just simply isn't true. But number two, generally, when Patrick Mahomes is involved in these giant comebacks, he is making a ton of absurd plays, isn't yeah. making many mistakes, and it's like, oh, wow, he actually is different from any other quarterback in the league.
1: For, for some perspective, the, the thing that I've highlighted about Mahomes, which was my way of highlighting that he's awesome, but when he's not awesome, his stats are still good, right? That's when you're, we have those discussions all the time. Yeah. Like Mahomes has the most incredible stats in the nfl on games where his grades like 60 or below right right where he still has good numbers and it's like oh that's the rest of the system and so we do that plenty
0: well like so your friend greg rosenthal your friend our friend friend yeah. of the show greg rosenthal tweeted during the game like during the comeback that it's very kirk cousins to not be playing that well during a 33 point comeback you know what i mean like this was not this is not an outrageous thing to say about that performance i think it was fairly standard while it happened, but the thing that you bring up all the time, which is certain numbers create instant reactions to people's, in people's minds when you see them, right? Yep. The box score numbers, the classic 300 yards, three touchdowns game that gives you a passer rating over 100, and whatever it is. As soon as you see that, you immediately just have a, a picture in your brain of what that performance was. So when you see 400 yards and four touchdowns in a half of football that ended up in the greatest comeback of NFL of, of all time in NFL history, you immediately form a picture of what that performance was that may or may not bear any resemblance to what actually happened. So when you start going through it and breaking it down, I think it becomes an interesting um, analysis on PFF grade because number one, we didn't charge him for either interception, right? He threw two interceptions, I mean, that's, both that's of which were Jalen Rager's fault.
1: Sorry. That was the other part of the perception thing, right? Because there's people are seeing 400 yards, four touchdowns, and they're actually applying the context to those two interceptions. Like I saw those two interceptions, I know they were on Jalen Rager. Right. PFF knows that. Okay, now where's the disconnect? Right.
0: So immediately, like we are not, like the grade is not average or slightly below average wherever it ends up um, because, oh, PFF is dumb, we don't understand that those two interceptions were on Jalen Rager. He was never charged for those two interceptions. Like we had that weeded out immediately. So that's not the reason he was ever downgraded. But when you start going through, it is kind of fascinating because the yardage... Like, we know, by the way, that overall passing yardage is just a crappy measure of quarterback play. Like, that didn't change just because it ended up in a win uh, at the end of it all. At the point where they were 33 nothing at halftime, he was going to end up with a monster passing total regardless of what the final score was of the game because he was going to be passing pretty much every down of the second half, right? Yep. So that part was inevitable. Like, Matt Schaub owns the second highest single game passing total in NFL history, right? He, in fact, owns two of the top 20. It doesn't mean that Matt Schaub was amazing in those games. It just means that there are games where a guy has an absolute ton of um, passing opportunities. Cousins, if you include no plays, attempted 59 passes in this game. So he's gonna put up a ton of yards. Um, And then you say, all right, what's he actually doing in this comeback? And when you start going through it play by play, There aren't that many plays where he's making like a really nice, again, above expectation type of play. There's a lot of stuff 280 yards after the catch from his receivers, including that Dalvin Cook play, which is like the poster child for the point we always make, you know, you always sort of draw up a, for instance, like why is passer rating a crappy number? Well, imagine throwing a screen to a receiver who then busts through four tackles, takes it 64 yards and scores a touchdown it's a 64 yard touchdown pass it's a great play by the quarterback statistically but actually the play was that Dalvin Cook play where he just turns around fires it at him on a bubble screen it's a play you expect every single quarterback in the NFL to make Cousins doesn't get upgraded for that it's just the play Dalvin Cook did all the work that's 64 of his 400 and whatever yards and a touchdown
1: yeah so look there's a couple things at play first of all I think you trying to argue with Vikings fans after this game is stupid because the fans just wanna enjoy the comeback. They just wanna enjoy the comeback, mm-hmm. enjoy the win and feel good about it. I don't think the, uh, the happy fan day after the game is our demographic all the time because our grades try to get to the truth of what actually happened. By the way,
0: I didn't like, I didn't start this. Like I mentioned it on the podcast that some people were unhappy with the grade, which you is what just, we do you just let it let it die which is what we do here right the people that yeah. then came after me on twitter because of taking that clip and posting it online and then you won nfc player of the week this week so i got a million people in my mentions being like ah oh, what do you think player now of the week does as not if that matter. changes anything
1: right like rashion jenkins got it because a, a dropped pass landed in his hands and he ran it in for the game winner for the jaguars right like that's that's how player of the week is determined yep. our audience understands that um, here's like one sequence, though, that I think there, there's nuance to all this. Of course. There's, there's nuance to all this. Here's the nuance, right? Here's where I want to give Kirk Cousins credit. Where we have criticized him in the past is in late-game situations, he has generally struggled. He's gotten better in recent years, and this year it's been out of this world incredible it, that the Vikings just win these late-game situations, and, and he's at the, in the middle of a lot of these comebacks. Where we have criticized him before is there's all these games historically where there's a two score lead and he's just like checking it down and accumulating stats and and all that stuff. There's a three play sequence before the Dalvin Cook thing where the the Vikings have the ball at the Colts 40. They're down eight, and this is this is why the comeback was so weird, Sam. like I said on the on the show, it wasn't like everything just went right for the vikings in the second half they actually had some failed opportunities right Mm -hmm. it's first and 10 on the colts 40 with three three minutes left and i'm going to give i'm going to give cousins credit because he threw he throws the ball beyond the sticks three straight times but he misses every single throw right they're all they're all going to be misses they're all negatively graded throws but where we had criticized him in the past for being a little bit too conservative and not being aggressive this actually worked out. This was actually a very Andrew Luckian type of game for Cousins. Where it wasn't so much turnover-worthy plays like Luck used to have, but Luck was always aggressive, and he would throw these low-percentage passes. But you kind of have to throw these low-percentage passes in comeback attempts, which Luck found himself in a lot early in his career. So Cousins is aggressive, throwing the ball down the field. He misses on a, on a back shoulder. He misses on a comeback, and he misses. He overthrows Justin Jefferson on a deep out where uh, Stefan Gilmore breaks on it. three straight misses, right? Theoretically, comeback attempt might be over because they're going uh, to give the ball back to... Oh, then, then on fourth and 15, they've got to go for it on fourth down, right? Fourth and 15. And he tries to scramble. He scrambles for one yard instead mm-hmm. of actually making a play there. So I actually give him credit. But like that is a terrible four-play sequence. Could have ended the game for the Vikings. But don't worry, they got the ball back 30 seconds later because the Vikings' defense made a stop. His very next pass was the 64 yard screen to Dalvin Cook for the touchdown. So again, as a Vikings fan, you're watching this and you're just like, we did it. We just tied it up. This is incredible. But like on a five in a the five play sequence for Cousins was misthrow, 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 fourth down scramble for a yard, 14 yards short screen for a 64 yard touchdown. Now, I'm not saying this is the entire game. I'm saying this is a five play sequence where if you're a Vikings fan watching this thing, you're not remembering the four bad plays you're remembering Dalvin right. Cook just weaved through the defense and Cousins gets 64 free yards and EPA and all that stuff that's out the of it.
0: thing it's so outcome driven and by the way like this the the fact that PFF grade isn't particularly high on him again it's not a particularly out there suggestion when you look at other sources of information ESPN's QBR thought it was a trash grade now okay that that I think dings him for the two picks right that weren't on his fault but yes the point being like, QBR thought it was crappy. Greg Rosenthal said it was crappy while it was happening. EPA per play, it's not the best game in the world either because the first half happened, right? Mm-hmm. And EPA per play, like, he has several games better than that this year. Um, and like, it, this is, and if, the, if the Colts basically score at any point in the second half, he loses this game and nobody's talking about it. It's like, oh, Cousins put up 400, garb- 400 yards of garbage time in the second half. And it didn't matter because they lost the game because they were 33 nothing down nothing. You know what I mean? The entire narrative changes based off something that was not in his control if the Colts simply score a touchdown like at any point in the second half. Um, and look, this is going to sound very negative because we're trying to articulate why the grade wasn't amazing. But he made some great plays in there as well, which you're going to do if you throw the ball 59 times in a game. Like uh, less than a minute left of the game. In overtime, time's ticking down. If you want to win the game, you got to do something now. First and 10, he fires an absolute dart into, was it Adam Thielen? Yep. Um, on a dig route. The location is perfect. He keeps it away from the linebacker so that Thielen doesn't get murdered and that he can just drop back, pick up some yardage. That takes them from, where were they on this play? Like the 30 something yard line. The 39 yard line puts them into Indianapolis territory by a good distance. And that kind of changes the complexion between probably not winning this game and you've got a shot at it
1: that's that's the other part of this whole equation where it's like of course it feels good coming out probably the best throw Cousins made or the best completion he had at least was that dig route to Adam Thielen yeah like was that great throw with 48 seconds left in the game Mm -hmm. that gets them into Indianapolis territory then after that what happened after that to get into the game winning field goal misses a throw on an out route so he still there's another miss in there and then it's a screen pass for 13 yards that puts them in position for yeah. the game-winning field goal. So it, it, was, it was almost like – this is where I said it was like luck. Luck always felt like the grade was lower than the Andrew feels. Luck. Andrew Luck. Not, not luck itself. Right. The Andrew Luck feel was like he'd always overthrow on second and 10 and then make a great third and long conversion. Yeah. And it's like it doesn't matter, right? You converted, right? You, you got the conversion. It doesn't matter that you missed, but it kind of like offsets, right? A Bad play and a good play, they offset each other. To me, that was very much – cousins in this game he had a lot of offsetting type of plays where especially in the second half there was you know things generally went in in minnesota's favor
0: a few plays that i want to talk about a little bit more specifically because i think they're very relevant to how the game how the grade is compiled so we didn't charge him for either interception those were both on jalen rager Um, he did however throw the ball straight to a db in the end zone arguably two defensive backs in the end zone on what was just a bad read Justin Jefferson was coming across the field. He was going to get pressure up the middle. He completely misread Jefferson's sort of capacity to outrun a guy in the back of the end zone, get around him, put the ball into what was supposed to be a gap between two DBs and actually ended up being just two DBs converging on the ball, right? That wasn't caught, wasn't uh, intercepted. That would have been a backbreaker. Like that would have been probably game over at that point. So that's a turnover-worthy play that is independent of the two interceptions that we didn't charge him with that nobody remembers. Like, that's a play that happened that would have ended the game pretty much for the Vikings. That's not in anybody's memory anymore because of the way the game ended up, right? You had a couple of other passes that were really pretty risky, not quite up to the level of turnover-worthy plays, but there was one that was behind Jefferson on a, a kind of comeback route right on the sideline that Stephon Gilmore broke up and Jefferson had to stop being an interception. Um, there was another one between two receivers, basically in no man's land over the middle, that when you miss a receiver over the middle, bad. Like, you're putting that in in the way of safeties and linebackers, you know, it's very risky. So he had a couple of misses that were not just, like, routine, harmless, nothing misses, but actually could have been very bad. And then there's two big plays to K.J. Osborne that I think are interesting plays. The one, remember, where it looked like a bomb catch and then they took it away from Osborne on replay because the ground forced it to move or whatever? Yeah. Now, that play... So the the Colts' defense was busting coverages left, right, and center, by the way, which is another relevant thing. You can make a case that he missed, quote-unquote, three touchdowns, the two plays to Osborne that were deep shots, and one to Adam Thielen where he just didn't even see him busting open ahead of the guy he aimed at. You know what I mean? So Thielen is about to score if he sees him beyond the guy that he wants to throw the ball to, doesn't see it, doesn't even put it in the air to that guy. Um, But the Osborne one, the first one, coverage bust by the Colts, uh, he's running like a, a seam, like a, a fade up the big box up fade. Up the numbers, puts his arm up. You know, they've dropped coverage. Woohoo! Uh, Cousins sees it from the backside, sees it, puts the ball in the air. It's perfect distance. So it looks great on the sort of sideline view where you're only looking at the distance, but it's like three yards laterally out towards the sideline as opposed to the numbers. And that forces Osborne to make an admittedly ridiculously bad job of adjusting to it which puts it kind of just out of his view or out of his reach, takes in, gets the cornerback back involved in it. If Cousins throws that 3 yards to the right with the same vertical distance, Osborne might still be running. Like that's a, that's probably a touchdown. So I'm not saying we downgrade him for this, yes. right? This is a positively graded play. Be very careful with how right. you're wording this. This is a positively graded play for Cousins. He saw that play he hit his receiver. There's no scenario by which KJ Osborne shouldn't have a catch on that play, even though it ended up being an incompletion. It's a positive grade for Cousins. But the important part is he's leaving an even bigger positive on the table for what probably should have been a touchdown.
1: And all we're saying, and so again, to help you out with this point, which is a good one, it's not to say, well, Cousins' grade was this because he just uh, was three feet to the left on one throw. We're not saying that. We're, this right. is a, we're trying to bring all the evidence it to the table here. all comes together. Right? But what we're trying to do with the grade here, remember, we're trying to isolate the player and think about the opportunities that the Vikings offense had here, right? With the two big plays to Osborne, this one which was left on the table. We're trying to isolate the quarterback's role from what these other opportunities were, right? So there was this busted coverage. Well, busted coverage on one, this one where Osborne's running wide open through the defense, those are great opportunities for the quarterback to accumulate stats. The stats are the thing that trigger in your brain what a guy did from a performance standpoint.
0: And the second Osborne play is another important one to talk about because, again, busted coverage. The Colts drop Osborne. He's running free over the middle. Cousins sees it, fires him. He's not under any pressure this time, or he's not under any pressure. He's just got an open lane, and he hits him. But he leaves it inside. He leaves it back a little bit. Osborne has to kind of stop and turn around to get the ball. It's a big play. Again, it's a positive grade. We're not downgrading him for this. But if he leads him into the place he's running to, that's a touchdown. And he doesn't. So he's picking up a positive grade, but he's leaving a bigger grade on the table, which he should have had if he would put a more accurate football yeah. out there.
1: So the other way to, to think about this is the quarterback stat line that, again, we all that 34 for 54 for 464 touchdowns, two picks. That stat line is mostly driven by the quarterback. But it's very much driven by the actual receivers, the opportunities that the receivers presented to you in the defense, right? When we talk about when we talk about adjusting for defense, yeah. a lot I think the PFF grade actually inherently does that a lot, right? Cuz if you make a great throw into tight coverage, it doesn't matter if you're playing against the 49ers or the Colts or the Worst defense in the league. It's a great throw into a tight window. But if the defense is leaving wide open receivers all the time, you're probably going to have a lower grade than the stats show. So it's almost adjusted for automatically. You don't have to go and say, well, this stat line happened against the Niners, therefore it's more difficult, or it happened against the worst defense, therefore it's easier. It's kind of inherently baked in. Look at the grades, look at the stats, and say the defensive adjustments kind of baked into that a little bit.
0: The other – so, you know – It's very difficult sometimes to articulate without going through play by play which we don't have time to do on this podcast which we can't do on twitter because we don't have like we're not able to put the film out there on a weekly basis you know here are the 17 different plays we're talking about it's very difficult sometimes to articulate it without coming up with like examples right for instances or statistics that kind of try and make the point you're trying to make so in this one for example you're like 280 yards after the catch right to try and illustrate the point that players like dalvin cook or kj osborne whoever are the guys driving that yardage total so 400 yards is the thing that has everybody's attention but you're like yeah but 280 of the 400 were after the catch it was other guys driving it so then people will come back and they say well your website pff.com has made the point that quarterbacks contribute to yards after the catch accurate passes lead to yards after the catch so being an accurate quarterback and generating high yards after the catch illustrates that a quarterback is
1: doing a good job there's some level of correlation yeah
0: yes it's true and in large numbers that's absolutely the case but what the pff grade can do is differentiate on a play-by-play level those plays for example right dalvin cook's yards after the catch nothing whatsoever to do with the quarterback right the only thing cousins did that influenced that yards after the catch was not throw the ball like into the dirt you know not throw an actively bad pass towards dalvin cook but that's not like a that's an expected play, right? You expect every quarterback in the NFL to be able to snap the ball, turn to his left, and fire it to a receiver on the line of scrimmage. It's just a routine play. Now, the two K.J. Osborne plays we're talking about, I, I forget where the catch point was in those plays, but that's potentially, what, 50 more yards after the catch? Just making it up? I, I don't know exactly where they were. Let's, let's call it 50 just for the case of making the point. That's 50 yards after the catch that ball location took off the board, Right? So when we are saying he got 280 yards after the catch and his grade wasn't good it's because his ball location generally in this game was not contributing to that yards after the catch and in fact it was yeah, taking the, away from it
1: the 63 yarder to Osborne which again positive throw i mean it was it, it was like it was an easy throw overall but it was it was you get a positive for recognizing and getting it to him basically the the colt play an old school wide cover 2 but without the Tampa runner right right so guys running through the seam with no nobody covering him it's about 25 air yards or whatever where if he did put it on that front number Osborne's definitely scoring a touchdown he does have to slow down and he picks up
0: a lot what's the catch point how many yards does he leave on I think it's
1: about 25 and probably 35 after the catch
0: so okay so there's 35 yards after the catch that could have been scored there there's another, whatever that one over the middle was where he made him spin around. Now, actually, he generated a lot of yards after the catch on his own after that. But my point being, the ball location, quarterbacks can create a lot of extra yards after the catch, but they don't always. Right. And in this case, this game, Cousins wasn't creating a lot of yards after the catch. In fact, he was working against the yards after yeah. the catch that could have been
1: there. That's, that's the final point I would make, right? There's, there's a 64-yarder and there's a 63-yarder in here. Let's just call it 120 yards mm-hmm. of that 460. So though of those, on those two plays, one was a screen, which was clearly all Dalvin Cook. Yep. The other one was a, a small positive for Cousins, which again was more about bad defense than anything else. It was atrocious defense than anything else. And I think we are, we're trained to only think that the – to give the quarterback full credit or blame for everything that happens. Like there are Cowboys fans who are still blaming Dak Prescott for the game-ending interception, the, the walk-off interception. Oh, we should have thrown it a little bit higher. He shouldn't have thrown it to Noah Brown. It's like he threw a catchable pass on third down that hit his receiver in the hands, mm-hmm. and it bounced up into a pick six. And people still are—it just—it's—it's in your brain. Dak threw a pick six. Right. This is Cousins threw a sixty-three yard. He threw a sixty-four yard touchdown. But you take those two plays out, we're at three hundred forty yards on fifty-something yeah. dropbacks and everything. I mean, you know, I, and, it, and and so it's like those two plays. You don't take them out, but if you did like Cousins had a little bit to do with 120 yards yeah. on those two plays that completely changed his stat line.
0: Again, we, we talk a lot about who, how big are the slices on the credit pie for any given thing that happens in a football game, right? And Or even not even a football game, like the season. How big of a slice of the credit pie does Tua deserve versus Mike McDaniel versus Tyreek Hill versus the offensive line improvements, all those kinds of things. So what we're asking here is, Okay, the Vikings executed the greatest comeback in NFL history. How big a slice of the credit pie for that does Kirk Cousins deserve? And I think the answer for anybody looking at 400 yards, four touchdowns, and just the, the fact that it was the biggest comeback is like, oh, most of it, almost all of it. It's all Cousins, right? Huge amount of the credit pie. But I think when you start going through it and dividing it up and looking at it play by play, it's actually a much smaller piece than that. It's not that he was like did nothing, right? We'll talk about that dime in at the end of the game just before the end of overtime beautiful play he had a a couple others like the one of his touchdowns to kj osborne was a perfect ball location very short pass but like a perfect ball location that makes that an easy touchdown as opposed to something that might have been contested or whatever like he made some very nice plays in here but he relied on dalvin cook he relied on kj osborne the play call was giving or the play like the play calls we're giving him a lot of th- free plays. The Colts, knowing they were 33 points up, were giving the Vikings an awful lot of free plays. The Colts not scoring for basically the entirety of the second half, gave them a lot of opportunities to make these things. I just think in the overall credit pie, Cousins' slice actually isn't that big, but 400 yards, four touchdowns, the win, the NFC Player of the Week, causes people to think it should be much bigger. But I think Do you- his PFF grade
1: should be average from this game. Do you rest your case? Now I do, yeah. Okay. I wanna finish on a positive note. Okay. On the, on the Cousins explanation here. I think Vikings fans should be encouraged. Does, like the, because I will always say that the grades, the, the context around the grade is important. The thing that I highlighted about him being more aggressive and even though he missed three straight throws and that's gonna factor into the grade, they were high leverage, tight window, difficult throws. he missed he didn't give his receivers opportunities to make plays whatever that is that is good for the future of Kirk Cousins and the Vikings right when we talked when we criticized him for not making comebacks it's because he wasn't making those throws he wasn't taking those chances there were times where it did look like he was calculating his stats in his head and taking the stuff that was that was easier right I mean that is a legit criticism of a good statistical quarterback that didn't have a good win-loss record, right? That wasn't playing to the situation. And we've been on here and we've always said Aaron Rodgers has times where he doesn't play to the situation. But the best comeback quarterbacks of all time, Brady and Peyton, Andrew Luck was great in his small sample size. They played to the situation. It might lead to some ugly every now and again, but it increases your – it increases variance basically and it increases the ability to pull off something special. And whether Cousins specifically deserves the credit or not in this comeback situation, what he has done this year is increased variance in, in and in been more aggressive to the point where special stuff can happen. And I think that is why Cousins this year is having his worst statistical season in a while. And they have the best record in Minnesota. It's one of the reasons. There is pure luck involved and all that stuff. But all you're doing is increasing variance so that the luck can fall in your favor more. Whereas if you keep checking down, like you've got no chance. And Cousins has done a better job of that. Not just this year. There were elements of it last year as well. Oh, big picture. This
0: is the game that Minnesota brought Kirk Cousins in for, right? The, I remember they had Case Keenum, at quarterback, who did a really good job in 2017, brought them to the NFC Championship game, and then they got blown out of the water. Um, before that, they had Sam Bradford. Like, they had quarterbacks and Teddy Bridgewater. They had quarterbacks that were functional, that were efficient, that were able to put up good offense, but you didn't trust any of them if they got in a hole and needed to dig their way out of it with a lot of scores in a, lot of, in a short period of time. The whole concept was Cousins might be more inconsistent, um, although actually he's been way more consistent in Minnesota, but he gives you the potential to execute that kind of comeback yep. if it happens again. Now, from that point on, the kind of roster fell apart around him, so we never really got to see it. But this year, in, if they make the playoffs— People are going to be expecting them to get bounced because of their negative point differential and because they're not as good as their record shows and all these things, blah, blah, blah. But we've already seen against Buffalo, for example, in this game, this team is not dead and buried in the playoffs, even if they stink for the first half. They've just shown that they can come back to the tune of 33 points because of players like Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook and K.J. Osborne and Justin Jefferson and everybody else. They came back... Uh, what was it, 10 points against Buffalo, who's, you know, favorite for the, the Super Bowl. Like, the, this type of game is exactly why they brought Kirk, Kirk Cousins in. And he's shown that if everything else just functions, that is still a potential outcome for this team. So, like, big picture, it's huge. Yeah. Because I don't, think, I don't think any of those other guys play the game in the kind of way that would execute that comeback. It yeah. doesn't mean that his performance within that comeback – was amazing it just means overall it's it is an encouraging thing for them so there you go
1: i thought it was a good explain the grade yeah it's not social media friendly right it's uh it's a conversation to the podcast friendly yeah and look gotta walk through it with us
0: it is a very difficult thing to try and articulate because ultimately what you're doing is trying to explain what is a play by play by play by play analysis of 60 plus plays that illustrates why this was Closer to an average performance than it was an all-time great performance. But I think, like, ultimately, I don't think that many people thought it was amazing at the time. It's only after the fact where you're like, oh, wow, that was the greatest yeah. comeback ever. And he put up 400 yards and four touchdowns in a half. That's never happened before.
1: Yeah, Therefore, he was the, amazing. And the last thing we saw was, you know, one of his best throws was on the very, on yeah. the very game-winning True. drive. And, and then that helps you forget that, you know, a failed game-winning drive, you know, early right. in the fourth quarter.
0: So that's our attempt at explaining that we're not absolute morons, that there is reasons that his grade is average and it shouldn't be amazing just because it was a very high volume of not amazing yeah. in the game.
1: And, uh, and we're not biased. Like, who's more biased? Me or the hashtag skull people in your, uh, skull in your uh, the, profile yeah. people?
0: There are a couple of uh, themes consistent threads to the the people that are in my mansions one skull will be in their name somewhere number two their profile picture will, will be of kirk cousins you know just a straight picture of kirk cousins kirk cousins in the chains kirk cousins with the evil sort of light eyes you know what i mean um so there's a few you know <laughs> when we're sort of evaluating okay which side of this argument has a has a dog in the fight you know which one has got a horse in the race who is really got some bias working for them is it the vikings fan or the guys that are trying to do an like an unbalanced uh, analysis of every throw by every player and are paid by nfl teams to do it i would argue it's the vikings fans but you know Yeah. yeah last point
1: just enjoy the win. Yeah, but the actual like, enjoy the win.
0: The other thing I would say, okay, look, this is this is a difficult thing to do, as we talked about, right? It's a hard conversation to try and have and cover all the bases. Like, email us. These are the things that we would like to he- hear feedback about. Like, email us in, ask did we <laughs> or, uh, let us know if if we made the point well, if you bought it, if you still think we're full of it, if we can do a better job with this kind of stuff, because you know, it's it's what we. A couple of weeks ago, remember when we, we screwed up the Quinn and Williams grade, right? We went through the tape, we found a few plays where we got it wrong, and we changed that grade, and we, we made a mistake, right? It's, it happens. There are times where the system is not perfect, it is uh, subject to flaws, it can be warped. We went through the, the Cousins tape, play by play again, just like the Williams thing, uh, and we found like one play where we moved it from a zero to a 0.5, right, in 60. This was not one where we're way off. Like, we didn't have this completely wrong. We found one very close marginal call and moved that slightly up, right, out of 60 throws, 60 dropbacks. So this is not a case of, like, oh, we just haven't bothered looking. We're biased. We screwed up the grade. And on review, we're going to move it a ton because you guys are all right. Like, this is what the reality of his game was. Is that it for the show?
1: Yeah. That's it today. It's a great Christmas show. Hopefully these... Uh,
0: Nothing more Christmas than explaining Kirk Cousins great.
1: Here, take your lobsters. Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you. Fire them up on the grill. And uh, thanks, this is great. So what do we? What, what am I going to do with my uh, special baseball card here? I don't know. Just make it part of the set? I guess. Should probably be part of the set here. It's incredible. It's pretty cool, right? It's really well done. <laughs> it's not alive and chicken but... No, that's true. It's, it's going to last longer You can't than really I can. grill it either. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll have one more show tomorrow before uh, before Christmas and that's it Uh, be sure to get the PFF app on your way out go download it go do it check out Sam's writing we got all of our betting and fantasy it's uh, high time fantasy playoffs might need all that advice on the PFF app
0: oh by the way anybody so this isn't going to happen in time for Christmas but all those books that we kept getting given for free if you want one of those books email me in email us in and
1: I'm I'm just going to pop some of them in the post let me grab the books books. I'm going to get them out do you know what the books are? you're going to read them to us? And check out the charity drive as well.
0: All right. What do we got here? We've got the view from center, which is my football life and the rebirth of Chiefs kingdom by Tim Grunhard with David small forward by Carl Peterson. So that's one. We got the rise of the black quarterback, what it means for America by Jason Reed. And we got 17-0 Miami 1972 and the NFL's only perfect season. So if you want any of those, Fire an email at podcast at pff.com.
1: And I'm just going to give the three of them away. To the first diehard 72 Dolphins fan that steps up will get that book. Well That's really that's our niche should... yeah. in terms of uh, demographic. I bet we're closer there than Gen Z. So. Yes. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. It's the Midweek Wednesday show. We'll be back here Thursday preview- previewing all of the Week 16 action, including the Thursday night game, which we didn't get to today. Yeah. So Jags-Jets. We'll preview that tomorrow. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow.